The circle is cast, the candles lit, the spell is spoken, and Mother Moon is watching all that we say and do. For the next short passage of time, you are in an enchanted place called the Witching Hour. Welcome to the Witching Hour for June. A bit late, yes, we know. It's been a long time coming. Since all of us are living in a bit of a surreal world right now, better late than never. I hope our fans and friends are weathering this COVID storm and masking up and staying hale and hearty. Ella and I are fine so far and intend to stay that way, no matter how long this takes to ride out. We just want you all to practice the safest options for your health. In the meanwhile, we won't miss any more of the Witching Hour podcast, and we hope you don't either. Okay, we've been spending a great deal of time tearing the house apart, rearranging everything, tearing it apart again, rearranging everything again, and thinking of all the projects that we plan to try and complete during this hiatus. So far, so good. We've gotten a great deal done, but many interesting projects are still waiting to be born, so pay close attention to the following. As you know, a great deal of our podcast contain the works of friends and also some folks we've never met, but who are amazing sources. Many items are shared with us because we know the creators, and others are researched by us and for us. And yes, we create much of our own material based on our own works, and works we found in dusty archives as well. So, starting with this edition of the Witching Hour, we are asking, no, we are begging, for new submissions from fellow pagans to have their works presented here on the Witching Hour. As long as the material is for and about pagans, the pagan world, ancient or modern, or fact and fantasy, or historical and lore, even romance or drama, we'd love to feature your works each month. Send a note with your pertinent information and permission to use your works to the Witching Hour podcast address at the end of this broadcast. The producer, Rob Steele, will tell you how to do it. Now for the good bits. Okay, um, here's an article that my son Jim shared with us recently. It was written by Max Daly, 13 September 2016. It's not a news story for uh, the UK, but it's a news story for us. And we thought it was important because you rarely, if ever, hear about a pagan, wait for it, policeman anywhere. Apparently, the UK doesn't have much of a problem with pagans serving on their police forces. So here's an interview that was sent to us about one such pagan that has served in this capacity for his entire career. Andy Party is the founder of the Police Pagan Association, which has essentially become an occult investigation team investigating ritualistic displays and horse maimings. Now, I'm looking at this thing on horse maimings that I'm thinking to myself, knowing the UK to have a lot of rural areas, maybe they have horse maimings there. Uh, Whatever it is, I'm glad that Andy Party's on it, and you will be too once you hear what he has to say. This article was set up as an actual interview, so I will play the part of the interviewer, and Bill will play the part of the interviewee, Andy Party. I hope you will find this piece as compelling and interesting as we did. I'm pretty sure this was done in the original with great English accents. You will pardon us if we don't make fools of ourselves trying to emulate same. Police Sergeant Andy Party is not your average British policeman. His philosophical touchstone is not the Daily Mail or the Sweeney 
And I'd love to tell you exactly what that is, but I haven't been in the UK for a long, long time. It is, however, the Norse god Himdal, guardian at the gates of Asgard. Andy is a pagan. More specifically, he's a heathen. Not heathen as in the snobbish insult. Heathen with a capital H, a follower of the ancient northern European religion based on the worship of Norse gods and goddesses. When he's not patrolling in the streets of Hemel, Hempstead in Hertfordshire. Shire. Shire. Yes, okay, we've got that. Andy runs the Police Pagan Association, a body set up amid such predictable media piss-taking in 2009 in support of the needs of British pagan coppers. Coppers meaning police. The PPA has 200 members, 80 of which have not come out to their bosses in fear of discrimination. On its website, PPA says it understands and promotes our codependency with the earth and therefore promotes the tenets of community and the pursuit of peace and prosperity which is not something you see in Scotland Yard press statements very often. With the autumn equinox, an important day of bonfires, feasting, and dancing in the pagan calendar looming next week. Remember, this was done in 2016 in September. I had a chat with Andy about what it's like being a pagan police officer, and this is how he responded. I said, I would never... um, have put being a pagan and being a police officer together. How did this all come about? I found paganism while rebelling as a teenager. My mother was a strict Jehovah's Witness who, when I declared that I did not share her beliefs, threw me out at 14 years of age. I turned to other religions as a form of rebellion, and I developed a genuine interest in paganism. The nine noble virtues of heathenry mirrored almost to the word the tenets to which I had already attempted to live up to, and to which I refer in my job. I firmly believe that I would not be a police officer today if I had not found the pagan path. Okay, um, what, what is a modern pagan to you? Pagans believe all of life is sacred, and there is a vital energy in every living thing. Instead of worshipping a deity, we see the earth as a living, vital thing. We see our place in the cycle of life as divine, rather than a single creator. It's what people believed before the concept of God was introduced. Recognition that the seasons have a direct impact on people's lives and their well-being. The 2014 census found that there are just under 80,000 pagans in the UK. But I suspect there are twice as many as that, as pagans keep their religion a secret because of the stigma. What does being a pagan involve? Heathenism is one of the four main paths of paganism. The others are Wicca, Shamanism, and Druidry. Heathenism was brought over from the Northern Europe during Anglo-Saxon times. It's the only branch of paganism which doesn't originate from the UK, and the only one with accurate records of its beliefs and traditions, such as the Eddas, which are Norse poems. As a heathen, I acknowledge the Norse gods and goddesses are relevant to my culture. I recognize that certain deities are relevant to different aspects of my existence, such as the god Heimdall, often seen as an educated figure and an able communicator, to whom I often address my thoughts prior to public speaking, for example. I don't believe that a horned Norse god physically exists on a higher realm, 
rather that he is a manifestation towards whom I can direct my thoughts in times of need. How does paganism impact on your job? Well, almost by default, the PPA has become an occult investigation team. We were called to a prominent cathedral in London, St. Paul's, last year. They contacted the PPA because the groundskeeper had come on to work one morning and found an occult setup, a rammed skull on top of a photo of a woman's breast, surrounded by 12 candles, and an anti-church message on the steps on the way to the cathedral. We were able to confirm straight away that it was not pagan, but a ritual likely to be the work of an individual with occult tendencies. We often get involved when horses get maimed, because people suspect it's the act of pagans carrying out a ritual. It's true, in the historical past, horse sacrifices used to happen. But I have to explain that nowadays, pagans don't believe in killing any living things. We've moved on. There was a sad case recently we were brought onto a vice where two men claimed to be pagan priests and sexually abused vulnerable female members of the pagan community. We've also been contacted in cases of a cold case murder investigation with possible occult links from the 1990s. Earlier this year, a young lad was searched by police and they found an athame, a pagan knife, on him. He was bailed and the force contacted us for advice. We found out he was a practicing pagan and had just come from a hand fasting or marriage. These knives are part of the religious uniform, a bit like Sikh knives, so he was released without charge. Um, how can I spot a pagan? Well, it's not that easy. Depending on their path, most pagans would wear a pentacle, a five-pointed star, on a chain around their neck. Heathens often wear a Mjolnir, a Thor's hammer symbol. I have a Valmut, three intertwining triangles, which is another heathen symbol. What was your last ritual? We had a day marking the end of summer, a recognition we are coming into harsher times. This time of year is seen as part of a cycle within the sun that gives earth energy passing away. It's quite a solemn time, a time for remembering your past relatives. We have vegetable stew and light candles for dead relatives, and drink a glass of meat or two. Morrisons sell their own brand, although it's a rather commercial form of meat. We brew our own. I highly recommend it. How strong! Well, it depends on how long you leave it to brew and how much sugar or honey you put in it. It can be quite potent, believe me. Do you have um, a family, and are they also pagans? My wife discovered paganism by her own means. But we have always stated that we wanted to educate our children about all faiths so that if and when they choose a path, it is an educated choice. At this time, however, they have always celebrated the pagan holidays with us and consider themselves pagan. If they change religion for whatever reason or do not choose to follow a faith, we will support them regardless. Most pagan households have the hearth as a spiritual center. We have candles, a written work from one of the Norse poems. Why did you set up? the Police Pagan Association, the PPA. I found out paganism wasn't recognized as an official religion in the police when I tried to take off Yule as a religious holiday. Also, there were some inaccurate guidelines about paganism being handled out by one police force, saying things like, if you enter a household and you find a naked woman tied to the table, it could be part of a pagan ritual. I knew pagan officers from that force who did not like that, and they complained but were suppressed by a senior officer who was anti-pagan. So we came up with a national association able to circumnavigate local level and answerable to the home office. In 2009, when you set up the Police Pagan Association, 
you got teased in the tabloid press as the one with the horns on his helmet or uh, the raping and pillaging squad. Other members were accused of casting spells. What did you make of that? Well, the papers had to apologize for that, although I must admit I have one of the cartoons in my hallway. They raided my Facebook page and found an old fancy dress picture of me in a ninja outfit, which they showed on, Have I Got News For You? <laughs> Excuse me. Did you get any grief from police colleagues? Um, any anti-pagan slurs? Some police officers think we shouldn't exist, and some officers have felt they have been passed over for promotion or not allowed opportunities because they are openly pagan. Unfortunately, there are certain groups within heathenry that misuse paganism for white supremacist agendas and Aryan race ideals. A lot of the Norse symbols were appropriated by the Nazi party. You will get white supremacist groups who are pretending to be heathens. So I've been called racist and a white supremacist quite a lot. We get called sexual deviants a lot. People think being a pagan is all sex and nakedness. I keep saying to them, if that's what it was, there would be a lot more pagans around. <laughs> do pagan police do naked rituals? Sure. There are police officers who do worship naked, but not on the, all the eight religious holidays of the pagan calendar, and only when it's suitable. It won't be in public view, usually in private estates, or land where they have a right to be, or in their own gardens. By the way, I don't do it. Heathens do not believe in magic or nudity as a way of worship. It's mainly Wiccans. Well, speaking of Wiccans, what do you think of The Wicker Man? That film was a great deal of help for the PPA when we were trying to get endorsed by the Home Office. We had to provide evidence that pagans are misrepresented in popular culture, and The Wicker Man was by far the best example. It glorified historic acts of paganism and represented them as contemporary culture. This is what the public think paganism is, more of a cult than a faith, with sacrifice being a central aspect. You couldn't get a more inaccurate film, really. Okay, thank you very much, sweetheart. That was beautifully done. And I just want to give a reminder that pagans in countries other than ours uh, work for the public safety, peacekeepers, and emergency situations. I have a feeling that the UK seems to have embraced employing pagans more openly than certain areas of the USA, but I hope I'm wrong. Thanks for giving your strong voice to the part of Police Sergeant Andy Party, Bill, and thanks to my son James Arthur for bringing this article to our attention. Most of all, thanks to you and your family, Andy, and I hope you and your family are still well and practicing your pagan faith as we are here. Next up, Elle found a very good piece on a friend's Facebook page from an article called Unofficial Wild Woman Medicine. Sounds interesting. Called Let's Talk to Crone and See How She's Dying. Yes, you heard me right, dying. This excellent piece was written by Annabelle Viscara, and Elle considers this her territory, so she's going to read it to you for Miss Viscara. Your turn, my little witch. The crone is a woman who no longer menstruates physically, and she is now a fully embodied wise woman. With many moons behind her and the experience she has acquired, she can now turn her attention to being a guide for the young, being free with her body, no longer worried about pregnancy, pretense, or deep fluctuations in hormones. She has come to a serene place of acceptance. 
an embodied dance with the rhythms and energetics of life. I have been guided by grandmothers with silver hair as magnificent as the moonlight for a very long time in my dreams. It also helped me develop a keen appreciation for the crone who has allowed me to see aging as an exquisite and delicate gift. It has helped me make healthy choices in the now and embrace with subtle anticipation the day when I too will become a grandmother to the children of our world. In ancient times and cultures, the crone was revered. The crone was consulted for matters of importance and well-being of tribes. Children and the grown alike would come for advice and storytelling to the skirts of the crone. The gray hair was looked at as stripes of honor and the wrinkles as badges of courage and experience. When a woman's blood flow would stop coming, it was said she no longer needed it, as she had accumulated the wisdom of the moon enough to embody it and invite it to stay. These wise women understood the importance of death and renewal at such a cellular level they no longer needed to be reminded every month. In today's culture, the crone is in great danger of being crushed. In a society where faster, better, younger is the theme and tattooed onto our consciousness every day. The elders are often overlooked and seen as a nuisance, annoying, slow. Their beauty is smudged over and often shoved into care homes or combined to a bedroom in the house. Google has now usurped the throne of the wise one. We see maiden archetypes everywhere, the endless pursuit of youth, from a multi-billion dollar market of beauty products to movie screens. Everyone wants to be young, plump, and fresh. We see the mother archetype, the caring, loving mother, such as Laura Owen mentions in her book, Although Limited, it is even revered in religion. But the crone? Where is she? She is hidden, she is stashed away, and all that power hidden in her belly has nowhere to go. She has been pushed to abhor her post-menopausal state, and though it is a condemnation rather than a blessing, as if not being able to birth children is now a curse that spills inward into a barren womb, all that wisdom rejected, unacknowledged, dishonored, in exchange for the pursuit of being young and fertile, only to be ridiculed and mocked by a society that in paradoxical cruelty repudiates the crone as well. No, the crone cannot expect to be accepted without first accepting herself, knowing that her bones are indeed each day becoming more and more with the earth. The silenced crone cannot demand a place in society where she, too, has helped excise this archetype. This is why we need to speak of her, the crone, the holy guide that lives and will one day emerge from you, and when it does, you will have a choice. You will let her in and feast on the banquet of your holy life experience, 
or you will shut the door in her face and leave her out to starve in hopes that the maiden and mother whom have left will someday come back. Many times I have wanted to write about the crone, even create for it, but I am held back by the misleading belief that I have to be the one to speak of it. No more, my sleeping crone has whispered. You must begin and pave the way for my visit, planting seeds along the path that may bloom for my homecoming. Resting and gestating in me, she is harnessed strength to come and live fully, to guide, to teach, to dance, to remind, to slow me down, to make me softer, to be reflected on my skin and in my gaze when the time comes. So in the meantime, I will speak of the crown to our children and to anyone that will hear. I will honor the magnificently wise women I am surrounded by, sisters hiding their beauty behind veils. I will remind them, I will whisper, I will nudge, I will invite. Take off your veil. You are holy, sacred, wise women. You are here. You are a message. Now is the time to guide. Written by Annabelle Viscara. If you'd like to know more about Annabelle Viscara, you can go to her page at www.annabelbizcarra.com where you will find much more information about her to include her, her blog. Thank you, Annabelle. It was beautiful. And with that in mind, I'd like to share a lovely piece written by Rhonda Huff. A new thought, a new dream, a new life, green, bright, life, grow. A mature thought, a mature dream, a mature life, the greenest, the brightest, fully alive. A dying thought, a dying dream, a dying life, orange, yellow, red, brown, leaving. A dead thought. A dead dream, a dead life, the brownest, crumpled, lifeless, gone. I'm not a poet, but those words just wanted to escape from my mind today, so I allowed it. I gave myself permission to flow and not make sense, to just let go. Some people call this technique stream of consciousness writing. I have used this technique with many clients, and I am always amazed at what our subconscious mutterings can reveal to us. It can be life-changing. Reading back over my mutterings, I wasn't at all revealing the change of, of seasons that usually takes place cynically every year. Nor was I thinking about the circle of life, cue the Lion King, but I was definitely relating to the seasons of change that take place throughout our lives, sometimes on a daily or even hourly basis. Some days feel bright and promising, like you are stepping into something new and exciting. It could be a new relationship, a new job, a new location, a new goal, or even a new thought. You feel the fire beginning to burn within your heart, mind or body. You are motivated, determined, 
passionate. This is spring. Some days feel settled and safe, like you have a good handle on your current life situation. There are not many surprises, and you know the answers to most of the questions you've had recently. You feel the steady brook of peace flowing through your heart, mind, and body. You are cruising at a stable speed, and all feels right in your world. This is summer. Some days feel disorganized and chaotic, like the wheels are getting ready to come off the bus. Things seem to be changing, and nothing feels certain. You feel the winds beginning to blow through your heart, mind, or body. You are confused, searching, and sometimes a little scared. This is autumn. Some days feel hard and unmovable, like you ran into a brick wall. Things seem to be stuck, old, and dead. You feel the dirt of the earth trying to bury your heart, mind, or body. You are at your wit's end, ready to give up. You may even welcome this end. This is winter. But it is not the end. Does the tree give up because its leaves withered and fell? Does the tree at the height of summer beg for things to stay the same? The tree knows that in the harshest of seasons, a brighter day is coming. The tree knows that he can stay strong and can bend without breaking and can blossom again and again and again. The tree knows that the winter is not the end. It is a time of rest, of recovery, of anticipation, of a return to beauty. Sometimes I can experience every season in a single day. Sometimes the winter seems to last too long to endure. Sometimes I am not strong like the tree. I am more like shifting sands being tossed to and fro by the winds of which I have no control. But every day I can choose. I can choose to get scared by the winds or get stuck in the dirt. I can also choose to look for new opportunities and to grow and to learn the answers to a whole new set of questions. When your leaves start to fall, choose to let them go. Choose to allow for a time of rest. Choose to welcome new growth. Choose life. By Rhonda Huff. So, um, now back to Bill, who's holding something amazing in his hands. What? (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about your latest tarot find, oh my darling one. Well, a little background. A couple of years ago, our good friend, for uh, lack of another moniker, Buck the Druid, who lives in the Waynesboro area, told me about the Brady Tarot. It's a new edition of tarot cards that were being offered on Kickstart, which is uh, how some people that are creating works of games or tarot cards or pretty much anything allow individuals to fund it before it's actually printed. And once they reach a level, it, they go ahead with the project. Uh, that one slipped away from me. I looked at the thing, and it was really great. He mentioned it again just last year, a few months ago. And... Uh, I sent in for the second edition. 
I joined the uh, Kickstart, and they said, sometime in the spring you'd get your deck. Well, no disappointment. Um, not only was uh, my money, which wasn't terribly expensive, but more than most tarot decks start out at, I also got uh, an original block printing of a raven, which is part of the deck, and a tarot bag, and my deck was signed by the creator. The deck is gorgeous. It's nature-based and it's user-friendly. It's supportive of wildlife and of the Native American folklore. And here's a little something about the, the girl that created it. This is some excellent information on the artist's statement by Emmy Brady. The Brady Taro is a suite of 79 hand-colored lino cuts she created over 18 months between 2017 and 2018. The bulk of the work was done in Denver, Colorado, and she carved each image by hand printed the carpet blocks onto paper, and hand-colored those prints with gouache. The major arcana was created first, followed by the minor. To keep the project spontaneous, she used rolls of the dice to determine which images she would carve next. She found this method had a very similar voice to the tarot itself. The cards she rolls were often relevant to what was going on in her life, and she would frequently roll the dice which corresponded to the cards she was thinking about. This deck is a testimony to biodiversity and a call to protect it. It is an invitation to view the brutal and beautiful aspects of reality with equal enthusiasm. It is a tribute to the people who care for and learn the land of North America and is an attempt to honor the lessons and stories they passed on for millennia. It is a reminder to listen and trust in the process. This is a tool, not a weapon. This is a conversation, not a commandment. The Brady Tarot structure mirrors the Smith-Waite tradition and can be easily interpreted if the reader is familiar with that model. The card's colored borders are elementary coded, which is a helpful feature for translating the suits. Wands or fire become feathers, and the borders contain red triangles. The use of feathers by many Native American people can be somewhat analogous to wands in European traditions. Feathers are also used to guide smoke and ceremony, further connecting feathers and fire. Cups or water become horns, and the borders contain blue waves. Horn and antler are traditional materials used by many different Native Americans to craft vessels for liquids. Although horns and antlers form biologically distinct structures, they are used interchangeably in this suit. Swords or air become arrows, and the borders contain white lines. Like swords, arrows are weapons, and as projectiles, they further fit as the air suit. Coins or earth become roots, and the borders contain ochre hills. Earth is the shoot of currency in the European taro tradition, and the currency of nature is energy. Roots act as both a channel and a cachet for energy in the plant kingdom. Now, the deck is absolutely gorgeous. It's I haven't used it a lot yet, but it's probably going to become my favorite reading tool. And for all of you who are interested in looking at it and seeing what I was talking about in the deck and the creation of it, you can go to www.bradytarot.com. That's www.b-r-a-d-y-t-a-r-o-t-one-word.com. And just take a look at it and see what you think about something new and something really supportive of nature and of Native Americans, which I think is very important in not only divination of a tarot deck, but also in your personal lives. And that's it for this time. Okay, so is that it, or is this a wrap? It's a wrap. Now is the time to blow out the candles, pack our herbs, 
close our book of spells, and fold our tents. But before I go, we'd really like to hear from you. We'd like to know what you'd like to hear from us on the show and how often. We'd also like to hear from you if you are involved in the pagan community and have something you'd like to share with the listening audience. It's even possible that you could come and do a guest shot on The Witching Hour. Contact us through the website, thewitchinghour.com. And until we meet again, stay magical. <laughs>